0: You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 215 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our saying this week is from Saying's Gospel Q, the parable of the yeast, and our featured text is Saying's Gospel Q 13, 20 through 21. And again, with what I am to compare the, with what am I to compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was fully fermented. Our companion text, are Matthew 13, 33, he told them another. Parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Luke 13, 20-21, and again he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with in with three measures of flour until it was leavened and the gospel of thomas 96 1 through 2 jesus says the kingdom of the father is like a woman she took a little bit of yeast hid it in dough and made it into huge loaves of bread about a decade ago i started an experiment with Appalachian sourdough bread. And I I placed a container outside. And and in that container, I caught some rainwater. And then slowly over the next few weeks, I added flour, um, little by little, hoping to catch some of the, the local Greenbrier County yeast strains that are in the air here to to make my own uh, local sourdough starter. And through the process, I learned a lot about sourdough bread and a lot about uh, leavening. And, and I still have that starter actually alive in my refrigerator. I feed it once a week, and I probably only use it maybe twice a year if I, if I even do that. But when I do... Um, it, it's the joy of having my own locally sourced sourdough bread um, that that, uh, uh, that that I get to enjoy. So, so this week's saying is all about leaven, and leaven wasn't always a positive term in first century Palestine. The Passover ritual, um, remember, it involved eating unleavened bread, and that reminded the people of the stories uh, of their hasty departure from Egyptian slavery, and these stories were the soil. That Hebrew prophetic and liberation theology grew out of. And the community uh, that Jesus lived in was an oppressed community. They'd been oppressed. They'd been scattered. They were now returning. And their, their theology and practice, it reflected this arc. During Passover, they removed all the leaven from their homes to remember these stories or to illustrate these stories, to commemorate these stories. And over time, leaven took on a kind of a negative association. In Mark's gospel, Jesus uses yeast also in a negative way, and, and he warns the people about the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod, and that's Mark 8, 15. And Jesus' disciples then mistakenly, almost immediately, they thought he was speaking of literal yeast, as if the, the Pharisees and Herod had joined together to open a bakery, and you can find that in the next verse, Mark 8, 16. But instead, he was using the metaphor of yeast for greed or for harmful teachings or anything that could spread through society with ill effects. And in Matthew and Luke... We see a different use of yeast or, or, or leaven. Jesus hints that his own teachings, his own values, and and his own uh, ethics, the ethic of people taking care of people, or, or what's been labeled the empire of God, uh, were those were being viewed as negative, as leaven, that could also ferment in society and change society's nature. Last week, we talked about the harm that results when we misclassify as negative something that not only isn't harmful to society, but also bears good fruit. And one of the the uh, specific uh, applications of that was the misclassification by Christians of the LGBTQ community. And this week's saying is part of that section of the text of the uh, Sayings Gospel Q um, that, that's preserved in that context. And sometimes things are perfectly harmless And they're classified as wrong. And then there's things that are actually very harmful that are classified as good and right. And religious communities, they're not the only type of community that does this, but they do have a long history with doing this. And some of us grew up in religious communities that prohibited harmless things. And as teenagers, I think you can remember things where adults told you this is bad and you knew it was absolutely harmless. And as you've grown up, you've seen how harmless it is. Um, uh, the, the things that were harmless, and 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 then you watched uh, adults maybe praise things that you knew were intrinsically destructive, um, and yet they allowed those freely. They praised those things. But the journey of growing up is learning to distinguish uh, between that which is harmful and that which uh, isn't harmful. And, and, and we do that by looking at the intrinsic results of something rather than the external bans or the external affirmations of something. Uh, religious and secular history provides a, a long list of people who received religiously legitimized bigotry and oppression, forms of bigotry and oppression that religion said was okay. It was an approval um, a religious approval, and even in Jesus's own society, religion had been co-opted to justify the exploitation and the marginalization of the poor by the elite, uh, the, the the temple aristocracy. And not much has changed today. The characters of the stories certainly have changed, but but the narratives are, are are much the same. Religion today is still, whether it be in matters of race or matters of of sex or or gender expression or um, orientation or even economics, uh, religion today is still used to legitimize uh, the oppression of groups of people by other uh, uh, groups of people. And how does one tell the difference between uh, what is right and what is wrong, between something that's harmful and and something that's either natural or neutral uh, or beneficial? And for those who've discovered that their their previously cherished rule uh, was not that aligned with reality, uh, these questions can be Quite unsettling. It, it, it can unsettle uh, even your very foundation. And I'll, I'll share with you some things that have helped me. Um, say a child is running down the sidewalk, and you say, "Listen, if you keep running down the sidewalk, there's a chance you could fall and skin your knee." And let's say that child doesn't listen, and and sure enough, they fall and they get hurt. Um, did you impose that pain on the child for running on the sidewalk? or did they experience that pain as an intrinsic result of the activity they were engaging in? And let's imagine you said to the child instead, listen, if you keep running around on this sidewalk, I'm going to put you in timeout, and you'll have to sit still until you can calm down. This might also mean a certain type of pain or discomfort for the child, but would that, that pain be intrinsic to the nature of the activity the child was engaging in, or would you have imposed that as a penalty on the child for engaging in in that activity and moving from being governed by by fear of imposed penalties or uh, or, or imposed rewards to understanding the intrinsic consequences and results of our choices is, is what's called maturity. It's it, it's growing up, and and we're quick to do this in certain areas of our lives, and we are painfully slow to do this in other areas, especially the areas of life that, that are religious. In some areas of our religious life, we have moved from being motivated by the fear of a divinely imposed punishment or the hope of a divinely bestowed reward. We make choices in these areas based on what these choices will result in, the intrinsic results. And And there are areas in our religious lives that for sure we still need to, to mature. And this journey towards maturity... In a religious context, is it's always met with fear. That's the first emotion we feel. it's It's fear by those who have not traversed this ground as of yet. and and even in our material lives, motives that may be appropriate for a five year old, Um, the the fear of punishment or reward, are developmentally inappropriate for an adult. And this is true whether it's a religious item or a non-religious item. We we have to grow up and to begin being motivated or making choices uh, based on intrinsic realities, Rather than than rules and and things artificially imposed or, or or rewarded. So how do we know if something is good or right? Well, we could try and find a rule that does all of our thinking for us. We could look at the evidence, though, uh, also uh, before our eyes for for what certain choices will result in and we could maybe do a hybrid of both we could look at instructions in our sacred text and and try to ascertain the intrinsic negative results that that instruction was seeking to help its adherents avoid and then we could discern whether those intrinsic results still apply today and given the time and the cultural differences some of that may be different today than it was back then and 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 we'll then understand why something may be in a 3000-year-old sacred text but it would be foolish to try and follow the same instruction in our context today. And this, again, this is all part of of, of growing up. And will we always get it right? Um, absolutely not. Uh, But we're not supposed to. Growing up is about sometimes making mistakes and gaining experience and through that experience gaining wisdom to avoid larger mistakes in the future. And that's okay. Give yourself permission to grow and to mature. And as the old adage states, the only way to not make mistakes is to gain experience. And the only way to gain experience is to make a few mistakes. Here in America, we're seeing a backlash uh, from those who are threatened they're afraid they're threatened by society maturing and change scares us uh, but but change that means moving away from discrimination and bigotry It's not something that should scare us. Our our consciousness is being broadened, and it's being informed when we listen to the truth of another's suffering. And these changes work toward making our world a safe place for all of us, not just a few. And yeah, these changes may be properly referred to as leaven, something's leavening society. Um, They may permeate and, and change the nature of society, but they're not at all they're not all of them bad these changes are actually good things equality justice reparation for injustice in the past past the 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 removal of of power from those who would wield it to benefit themselves at others expense all of that are all of those things are are, are good things regardless of how negatively labeled they may be in the beginning by those who are afraid as james cone reminds us for the oppressed Yahweh's justice is the rescue from hurt, and for the oppressors, it is the removal of the power to hurt others, even against their will, so that justice can be realized for all. Those who possess the power to, to hurt others, they never view that power's removal as a good thing. They'll always see it as a threat to the status quo from which they receive benefit or privilege. But as Paulo Ferrer states... And this is in his, his book, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, he, 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 whether it's good or not, this leaven, it's humanizing to everyone involved, those who wield this power and those who are harmed by this power. He writes, Dehumanization, which marks not only those whose humanity has been stolen, but also, though in a different way, those who have stolen it, is a distortion of the vocation of becoming more fully human. This distortion occurs within history, but it is not a historical vocation. Indeed, to admit of dehumanization as an historical vocation would lead either to cynicism or total despair. The struggle for humanization, for the emancipation of labor, for the overcoming of alienation, for the affirmation of men and women as persons would be meaningless. This struggle is possible only because dehumanization Although a concrete historical fact is not a given destiny, but the result of an unjust order that engenders violence in the oppressors, which is, in turn, dehumanizes the oppressed. Because it is a distortion of being more fully human, sooner or later, being less human leads the oppressed to struggle against those who made them so. In order for this struggle to have meaning, The oppressed must not, in seeking to regain their humanity, which is a way to create it, become in turn oppressors of the oppressors, but rather restorers of the humanity of both. This, then, is the greatest humanistic and historical task of the oppressed, to liberate themselves and their oppressors as well. The oppressors who oppress, exploit, and rape by virtue of their power cannot find in this power the strength to liberate either the oppressed or themselves. Only power that springs from the weakness of the oppressed will be sufficiently strong to free both. Just a powerful statement there from from uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And, and this humanizing, he goes on, the humanizing will require change On the part of the oppressor, too, Uh, he writes, "...nor does the discovery of the oppressed that they exist in dialectical relationship with the oppressor as his antithesis, that without them the oppressor could not exist, nor does this discovery in itself constitute liberation. The oppressed can overcome the contradiction in which they are caught only when this perception enlists them in the struggle to free themselves." The same is true with respect to the individual oppressor as a person. Discovering himself to be an oppressor may cause considerable anguish, but it does not necessarily lead to solidarity with the oppressed. Rationalizing his guilt through paternalistic treatment of the oppressed, all the while holding them fast in a position of dependence, will not do. Solidarity requires that one enter into the situation of those with whom one is in solidarity. It is a radical posture, and what characterizes the oppressed in their subordination to the consciousness of the master, as Hegel affirms, true solidarity with the oppressed means fighting at their side to transform the objective reality which has made them these beings for another. The oppressor is in solidarity with the oppressed only when he stops regarding the oppressed as an abstract category and sees them as persons who have been unjustly dealt with Deprived of their voice, cheated in the sale of their labor, when he stops making pious, sentimental, and individualistic gestures and risks an act of love. True solidarity is found only in the plentitude of this act of love, in its essentiality, in its praxis. To affirm that men and women are persons, and as persons should be free, and yet to do nothing tangible to make this affirmation a reality, is a farce. And in, in first century Palestine, Jesus called the exploited in his community to forms of nonviolent resistance. And he called the exploiters, the, the, the oppressed, he call, or the oppressors, sorry, he called them to, to cancel all debts and to redistribute voluntarily their wealth. And, and had they followed this teaching, they would have learned their enti- that, that, that that their entire social structure was now being leavened. Th- things were now changing, and and they would have so fulfilled the summary of of Jesus's purpose in Luke four eighteen through nineteen, where he says, "I've come to liberate the oppressed." Jesus's leaven uh, was it a good thing or an evil thing? An evil was it good or evil for for his time and for his culture? And the answer to that question it might have depended on which side of the tracks you asked that question on. Now, I argue, and, and we spend our time here arguing, that it was ultimately humanizing for all people, and therefore it was a good for that society, and from that we can gain insights into efforts today that can be ultimately humanizing for all people in our society uh, now also. What are the leavening elements? Speaking of now and today in our contemporary society, what, what are the leavening elements that you see at work in our society today? What are the intrinsic results of those elements? Is it equity? Is it fairness? Is it justice? Is it the protection of the rights of minorities? Um, is there enough for everyone? Or, or do those who, who disproportionately benefit from imbalances in society, do they get upset? If, if those who are being benefited by a status quo are getting upset, that's a good sign. Are the oppressed calling for justice? Uh, do you see the other side labeling these changes for, for those who have been historically marginalized and historically excluded? Um, do you see uh, the other side labeling these changes as part of a sinister, evil uh, agenda? And if so, if the answer to these questions is yes, then there's leaven at work again in our generation too – Pick up some dough yourself and and start kneading. Our saying again this week is, again, With what am I to compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was fully fermented. Sayings Gospel Q, 13, 20 through 21. Heart group application this week. Cleve Jones, he writes in his recent book, When We Rise, My Life in the Movement, The basic human rights of any group of people should never be subjected to a popular vote. Minorities' rights can never be protected as long as they are dependent on the whim of the majority. And rights that are that are given by the majority, they can just as easily be taken away by the majority too. So number one this week, what difference has listening to minority voices made for you personally? And I want you to actually stop and write out a list. What are some of the differences um, that have been made by by you listening to minority voices? And then number two, how have these differences affected? The choices that you now make in your daily life, have they affected the choices that you make? And if they have, list those out. And number three, what can your group do together to center the voices of the vulnerable and to broaden your capacity to listen to the voices and experiences of, of minorities? And pick one action that you discuss together together. And put it into practice this next week. Uh, we're still taking testimonials of your experiences in heart groups for our new heart groups page. Um, if you'd like to share with us a testimony of what your experience has been with heart groups, you can go to our contact us page on our website at renewedheartministries.com, uh, and you can share it with us right there. And and thank all of you once again who are supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries. This is our our um, thinnest time of every year, April and May in the springtime. Um, this is the time we were. Work really hard to, to meet of all, all of our our financial obligations and, and uh, make sure all of our bills are paid. And and to do that, we desperately need the help of people like you. It's, it's your help that enables us to exist and to be a positive resource in our world and in the work of survival and resistance and liberation and restoration and transformation. And if, if you're new to Renewed Heart Ministries, maybe this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, we're a not-for-profit group that's informed by the sayings and teachings of the historical Jewish Jesus of Nazareth, and we're passionate about A center of values and and ethics um, that are rooted in the experiences of those on the undersides and margins of our societies. And you can find out more about us by going to our website, also renewedheartministries.com, and clicking on the Who is RHM. Uh, drop down and and, and uh, everything we do remember here at Renewed Heart Ministries is done with the purpose of making all of these resources as free as possible. And, and to do that we continue to need the help of people like you. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can do so by making a, either a one-time gift or becoming a, a monthly contributor by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the donate tab at the top right of our homepage. Or you can always mail your contribution to our address here, Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure that you also sign up for all of our free resources on our website. We have a monthly newsletter and there's just so much more there that you can take advantage of. And once again, remember all of your support helps. Anything that we receive beyond our annual budget, we always pass on to other not-for-profits that are that we feel are making systemic and personal differences in the lives of those less privileged in the status quo. And for those of you who are already supporting our work, again, thank you. I just cannot thank you enough. I'm so glad uh, all of you have tuned in this week. Thank you for journeying with us and where you are this week. Keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation um, as we together are all on our way to to, to thriving. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.